Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. You can't go back and change the beginning of your story, but you can start where you are today and change your ending. On today's show, we are talking about coming off conqueror. What does that mean? To conquer something is to prevail over it, to overcome and to take control. Oftentimes in our lives, we are held hostage by events from our past that have traumatized us. We are crippled by the abuses of others, by shame, even by our own destructive choices. We're talking about events that we've not been able to heal from. Now, events in our stories that kind of from a story perspective have us stuck like a knight in the mud bog in the fairy tale where the forward progress is inhibited. We're wallowing in that muck and the dirt and we don't know how to break free from it. Well, stay tuned for my interview with Bonnie Randall, creator of the YouTube channel, Come Off Conqueror. Stories are our lives and language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story Power serves you best when you know how to use it. Ms. Randall is a champion of the downtrodden. She has a 20-year career in marketing at all levels from Fortune 500 to nonprofit and charity work. And her charity work has led us to her meeting many trauma survivors and her own experience with date rape has created understanding bonds with these survivors and it sparked a passion for helping them heal. Her mission is to help victims of abuse, primarily women and children, conquer their traumas and to live healthy, fulfilling lives. And she believes that God is the key. So she started this YouTube channel, Come Off Conqueror, where survivors share their stories of healing as well as insights from therapists and healers and authors and all those wonderful practitioners that can help people take back their power and heal and step into their true identities and step out of that mud bog. Bonnie, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Thank you. I am beyond honored to be here. I have loved your podcast for, I don't even know, I think two years. Is that how long ago did you start this? We're going on year six. Can you believe Are you on that? year six? Wow, man. So then it has to have been, because I think I started listening when you were about two, maybe three years in then, because it's been about three or four years or something like that then. Holy Fine cow. Flies. It really <laughs> does. But you've got, you've had amazing interviews and they've really touched me. And to be totally honest with you, I have needed many of them myself, and they've been a real big part of my healing journey. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you so much for saying that. That's the whole purpose. So it gives me a lot of satisfaction when people are healing with them. (laughs) It should. It should. Um, With all of my interviews, I want to start with your story. So will you share your own path with us first and basically the story that brought you to where you are. And then we're going to love to jump into the work you're doing, which is fantastic. So what was your path? Absolutely. So like a lot of the people you've interviewed, I was uh, raised in a Christian household, very strict, devout uh, 
values. We were told to go to church every Sunday. We read scriptures. We did all those things, right? And somewhere along the way, when I was in my 20s, I I don't know, I'd always been a really good, good little Christian girl, but then something happened and I just kind of hit this rebellious streak and wanted to explore, I guess. I don't really even know what really led to this moment, but started making some not great decisions that were not the healthiest or safest decisions. And eventually I ended up uh, moving down to Utah County which for those of your listeners who don't know, this is like a bubble within a bubble, okay? (laughs) We've got a whole different culture going on down there. And I moved down there thinking that I would meet some more people that were of my same faith. And I don't know, I just had these high expectations that I would meet a return missionary and get married. And so what is that bubble for people who don't aren't familiar with it? What what is that cultural bubble? We call it the Mormon bubble. And uh, that's a nickname for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And that is the religion that I grew up. And at that time, when I moved down there, my um, right after college, I just graduated and I'd gotten a marketing job down there. And it's all, it's a BYU um, is down there in Provo. Uh, There's another school down there. So it's just a hotbed for young 20-somethings who are all pretty much LDS and looking to get married. Like it's kind of this funny, weird culture. I don't even know how to explain Thank you. It. Thank you. It's crazy. Um, so I moved down there thinking that I would turn my life around. I would start going to church again. I'd meet great people. Well, I ended up meeting this guy who was a return missionary. He was going to BYU. And I thought, oh, perfect. I found, you know, what seems to be on paper, a great, a great guy. It turns out he was uh, pretty emotionally abusive. He was very manipulative. And one thing led to another. And one night we found ourselves in a not so great situation, doing things we knew we shouldn't be doing. And I spooked myself and I said, all right, we've, we've taken this too far. It's, it's time to stop. And Now, I had always been taught that if you told a guy no, especially a good LDS guy, no, that they would listen. And And we're talking about physical intimacy. Yes. So we had been making out and stuff and and it had gone too far. And I'd said, all right, we've taken this too far. We need to stop. And I quote, his response was not okay. His response was, you can't take me to this point and not let me finish. And I remember being so shocked by that response. I remember thinking, I don't even know what to say right now. And before I could even reason out in my head what to do, the deed was done. He was finished and... I was laying there thinking, what in the hell just happened? And I remember going home that night to my apartment and telling my roommate, I was so shaken up. I remember walking in there and I, and I, she says to me that I was shaking and I was as white as a ghost and she knew something was wrong. She knew I'd been out with, with him and 
I told her what happened and I remember her grabbing my shoulders and shaking me and saying to me, Bonnie, you've just been raped. And I sat there just, this is coming from her explaining to me because I don't really remember a ton, but I do remember the look on her face and her crying. And I remember her grabbing my phone. It had started ringing and it was him. And she grabbed my phone. She turned it off and she threw it across the room. And I had tried to go get it. And I was like, no, I got to talk to him. And she's like, no, you don't. We are going over there right now. And you're breaking up with him. And I was like, no, 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 no. I can't. I can't. And I'm crying. And she's like, I don't know. I was hysterical and she was hysterical. And it was like this big drama mess. I remember she gets me in the car and I remember pulling into the cul-de-sac and he's outside with some friends. And I remember her rolling down the window and saying to this guy, Bonnie's got something to say to you. I remember being mortified and just like trying to crouch down as, as much as I could in the car and her saying, I couldn't talk and her yelling out the window, Bonnie's done. She's dumping you. Don't ever call her. Don't talk to her. You're done. Like leave her alone. And she sped off and we went home and I remember sleeping in her bed that night. And I remember her holding me and cradling me like a little baby while we both just sobbed and her stroking my hair and uh, just trying her, her hardest to comfort me. And I refused to admit that it was rape. I thought that I was totally complicit in the situation because I'd gotten myself there. I'd gone down to his room. I started kissing him. I started letting things go, you know, to that point. And so in my mind, I was um, not a victim. I was a part of a part of all of this. And I remember the next day her saying, you know, you probably need to go to Planned Parenthood. We need to get you the day after pill. And then reality kind of started setting in for me. And I said, wait, is that, isn't that like an abortion? Like I can't get an abortion that's against my religion. Like I was freaking out at that point. And so I called my church leader, my old church leader in the, in my previous uh, ward because he and I were very close. I, I really respected him. And he, um, it was a weekend and he called me up to his house and he said, come over. I can tell you're upset. Why don't you come over? I met him in his home office and he was so tender and so kind and listened to everything. And he again said, this is date rape. You need to go to the clinic, go ahead and get the day after pill. If that's what you feel you need to do. And go talk to your bishop and clear this up. He's like, yes, you shouldn't have gotten to where you are. He's like, but you said no, you tried to say no. So the part that I wasn't going to share that I feel for whatever reason I need to share when I went to go talk to my, um, my current Bishop, uh, for those of you who don't know, a Bishop is like a pastor in our church. So he's like, he leads our congregation and in our church, there's many, many, many congregations. So each congregation is set, uh, separated into wards. And so I went to go talk to the leader of my ward, which is our bishop. And we started talking. And instead of getting the same tender, loving care that I got from the 
the previous leader, he started to berate me and just laid into me. And I remember, I don't remember everything that he said, but I do remember him saying the words, boys will be boys. What did you think would happen? Yeah. I remember sitting there going, what did you just say to me? I just had Planned Parenthood, my other bishop, like three of my friends and a couple of my other friends who've been, who have been raped all say to me that this is rape. And now you're telling me this is all my fault. And I remember leaving that office, his office and saying, if this is how my church leaders are going to treat me, I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to be a part of this church. I have no interest whatsoever. Well, fast forward some time and I, this experience spiraled, spiraled me into a very dangerous cycle. I did not stop drinking. I didn't stop partying. It just got worse and worse. I remember one day scaring myself. I had hit my all-time low and I was sitting on, I had just gotten home from work and it was a really bad day at work. And I remember cracking open a bottle of rum or something. It was probably rum and pouring myself a glass and sitting down on my couch and crying. And I remember looking at the glass and the bottle. I don't even know how much I drink. And I remember thinking to myself, this is how alcoholics start drinking by yourself and self-medicating to hide the pain. And I thought to myself, if I don't stop now, I'm going to turn into an alcoholic. And I remember calling my sister and telling my sister what was going on. And she flew me up to Canada and I told her, I want nothing to do with God. Don't take me to church. Don't invite me to your devotional studies that you do with your family. She's not a member of our, of my faith. She's a a different, um, Christian denomination, but I told her I wanted nothing to do with it. And she said, all right, all right, whatever. But her being her, she can't help it. K-Love was playing in the background, which is a Christian radio station. She was constantly quoting scriptures to her kids. They've, she's got posters and quotes all over her house. She just, you know, she's a devout Christian woman. She can't help it, but she just you know, emanates the light and which is exactly what I needed. And God knew that I needed to be bathed in his goodness. And she, I I remember my niece asked me if I'd go to church with them and I couldn't say no to my cute little niece. So I went and I walked in and I was hit with a tidal wave, a tidal wave of the spirit And all of the praise songs were all about um, the atonement and letting God cleanse you and heal you and coming unto him. The pastor gave an amazing sermon on the prodigal son. I remember turning and looking at my sister and saying, you told him I was coming, didn't you? And she's like, no, I swear, I swear I didn't. And I was like, whatever. And at one point I was crumpled on the ground, bawling my head off and in church in church surrounded by 
hundreds of people and my sister on one side and my brother-in-law on the other just cradling me. And I felt so strongly that I had to go home and make things right, that I could no longer run from this. I could no longer deny the the atonement, that in order for me to be healed and to be past this and to stop meeting abusive guys and stop falling into this cycle and really turn my life around, I needed to let God in and be healed. So I went home. I went back to that same mean bishop. Before I went to him, I told the other guy, the one before what was going on and what that bishop had said. And he was so angry. He was like, I can't believe he would say that to you. That was not okay. He will be reprimanded for that. Don't worry. But you do need to go make things right with him. You need to apologize. Um, you need to forgive and learn to forgive. So a couple of things that I've learned from this experience. I learned that church leaders are not perfect. First and foremost, they can make mistakes just like any of us. They're humans. And we people tend to put them up on a pedestal because we think they've been called of God, right? Our pastor's been called of God. He went to seminary. He did all this training. He must know the scriptures forward and backwards. So he would never say or do anything that would harm anybody, right? We put them in a position of trust. Same with the bishop. We think They've been called of God, so they must have the mantle on them all the time. Every word that comes out of their mouth must be spoken for God. Well, the truth is, it's not always the case, right? They're humans. They're men. They can still say and do stupid things, and they often do. I have since then talked to a lot of bishops and people in bishoprics and pastors and and priests and people like that who wish, they say to me, that they wish that people would stop putting them on a pedestal. They say, we can't be human. We get put up here and people expect us to be perfect. I'm not perfect. Just because I all of a sudden got this calling doesn't mean I all of a sudden flip a switch and I'm all of a sudden a different person. I'm still the person with my baggage. And you know, Bonnie, the reason I think that's a really important thing to point out is that so many people base their relationship with God or their testimony in their church upon those leaders and the things that those leaders do. And the church must not be true if they call, you know, real people to those positions, but God does the best that he can and works through very human, messy people. But we, we still have to think for ourselves. We, you know, we have the option if they make mistakes to not listen, you know I mean? There has to be critical thinking and there has to be forgiveness and there has to be love and, you know, all of those Christian things as a bunch of regular people get together and try to do the best that they can. And those leaders are often giving of themselves in ways that are very stretching. You know, they're trying to give, they're trying to lead, they're trying to um, work in charitable positions, but that doesn't make them unerring. And so when we base our testimony of God and of all good things on those leaders, we are on very shaky ground. So I think that's an important thing to acknowledge. I agree with you. I feel that we need to give them grace. Sustaining our leaders doesn't mean 
thinking that they're perfect and believing every single word that comes out of their mouth. Sustaining them means upholding them and helping them. It means coming to their aid. And sometimes that means correcting them because we all make mistakes and we're not, we're not perfect. So for me, it, it was a really good lesson in learning that um, my testimony in God and in my faith, um, in my religion needed to be predicated upon my relationship with, with God. the talk with the mean bishop go um i don't really i honestly don't remember a whole lot i remember going to him and saying you really hurt me when you said this and him saying i don't remember saying that he's like but i do think that you had a uh you had a part to play in that and i said i absolutely did i own that and that was the other thing i learned was i had to own my actions i had to own what was mine and that sounds i i know when i say that sometimes victims can get a little bit triggered because sometimes they're like, I have no part to play in that. Like I, there's nothing that, that I have to own. I'm like, well, then that's the point. There's nothing you have to own. If you were a victim that had something done to you, you don't have to take on that person's agency. You don't have to take on that person's guilt. And a lot of times victims do. I was going to say, you have to own your own part, but you also have to make sure you don't own what is not yours. Exactly. So that's that's the recognizing what is mine and what is not mine. And then working through the guilt and the shame and the things that you might be feeling are yours. And then that's where forgiveness comes in on, on your part, right? Forgiving yourself. And I, I don't even know how many women and girls I've talked to especially young girls who are in very similar situations as to what I was, where they were at a party or dating a guy and it just went too far and they didn't know how to say no, right? We talk a lot about fight and flight, but rarely does anyone ever talk about the freeze. And freeze is quite often the response that sex sexual assault victims are faced with. Many of them have the freeze response. We think a lot of times we're taught to fight, right? We're taught in these, um, uh, what's the class I'm looking for? The, where you learn defense, self-defense, thank you, self-defense, self-defense classes, right? We're taught how to defend ourselves. We're taught how to break a hole. We're taught how to kick a guy where it hurts and do all these things, right? Poke the eyes. We're taught, we're taught to do these things in the self-defense class. And when we're young, we're taught to yell, we're taught to scream, we're taught to go tell an adult, taught all these things. We're not necessarily taught what to do when the, they don't listen and when you don't know what to do. How do you break your freeze? How do you not do that? And that's where, I don't know the answer to that. I'm hoping that maybe you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask a question. And forgive me if this sounds ignorant, but if you're in a situation where you are engaged in sexual activity with someone and you decide you, your expectation as a female is that it's not going to go all the way, but you don't stop the other person, I don't know that you can really, I mean, if you say no, if at any point you say no, then it crosses over into rape. But if you don't simply because you freeze up, how is the other partner supposed to know that right. you weren't on board, you know? And so I, I think there's a point there where people can 
I don't know, maybe feel like you were a victim because you didn't know what to do. But at the same time, you're going to have to cut that other person a bunch of slack because Uh you went there with them and then you did never say no. So it seemed consensual, you know, so I don't. I don't know the answer to that. I know I've been in DV um, domestic violence trainings. I've done a lot over the last couple of years. Um, And I think it would depend on the trainer, but I have heard trainers who would say that that was still rape. I personally have a hard time calling it that because like you said, you didn't say no, or you didn't try to push their hand away or push them off for you. You didn't show any sort of signs of no, of saying no, like, but they will say that there are times when it's manipulation where they said to you kind of like what happened to me, but there's other manipulative stories where um, they will say that manipulation is something that still counts. I feel like something like that would be really hard to hold up in a court of law. It wouldn't. And there's a lot of hearsay and people ask me all the time, why didn't I report him? And it's because it would be hearsay. Like it'd be his word against mine. Right. Like I willingly went into his room. I willingly started kissing him. Right. Like, it's not like, um, I wasn't a willing participant to that point, but you know, there's, I I just think it'd be fuzzy. And I think there's a lot of gray area and I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for saying this, but I agree with you that there's a lot of gray area. And unless you don't say something, that person can't can your mind for something that's not theirs. Right. So let me go to the healing part of this. How long did it take you to heal? You started on this process, you came back and you started, you know, meeting with the, with the second Bishop to have words and, you know, trying to embrace what you needed to heal. How long was that process? I believe that healing is a journey and for things like this, for major trauma, it's really hard to pinpoint a spot where you can say I'm healed. I'm better. Like one thing I've found as I've been doing these interviews with, with the YouTube channel is many people still get triggered many years after because different scenarios will will trigger them. Right. And so they'll think I'm totally healed. I'm over this. And having that mentality that you think you're over this, when you get triggered, it hits you like a ton of bricks. Cause you think, well, shoot, I thought I was over this, but clearly I'm not. And for me, I got to a point where I could finally start, start dating again. And I started going to church. That was probably like three, four years after that. I met my husband three or four years after that incident had happened. And I was finally in a place where I could start trusting guys again. I was still very, you know, guarded. Then we went through another part where I thought I was healed, but then when we got married and we started being intimate, that triggered me again. And I had to go through a whole nother set of healing and dealing with, with that pain and that shame and that guilt. And, um, when I had my first child, I was also triggered and memories came flooding back then. And I had to go through another wave of healing, if you will. And I, I'm sure that there's probably going to be, I wouldn't be surprised if when my oldest turns 16 and she starts dating that 
I start, I get triggered again. Like, I just wouldn't be surprised anymore. I'm not surprised by triggers anymore. One of my personal trainers, he said to me, triggers are a good thing. Triggers are your body's way of telling you that you've got work to do. You shouldn't deny a trigger. Thank it. Be grateful that your body is signaling to you, you've got a wound that needs to be healed. So there are a lot of treatment programs out there. What is your philosophy for healing? And like you say, I think that's a beautiful point that it's a journey and it might be a lifelong journey. You know, trauma gets embedded in us. And one thing that I think is interesting that I'll just point out here as well, the world in general tends to be pretty cavalier about sexual encounters. And you compare that to maybe a Christian teaching of being more morally clean and, you know, saving sex for marriage, that type of thing, which is very unpopular in the world. But I think one interesting thing is that I think there our psychological and our physiological tie to sex is goes far beyond what we understand and know. And the reason I say that is because if it didn't, we would not have the traumatic experiences that we do when there is molestation or abuse or rape. It, you know, it could be as simple as, hey, somebody stimulated my parts and, you know, um, we got through that and, you know, moving on. But it's not. It, you know, that happens. And and sometimes people are traumatized for life and it becomes this big journey. And so when God says, be careful with these powers, and I don't know the answer to it, but when he says, be careful with these powers, while it might seem on the surface, it's nothing but, you know, the way that we're made and animal response and, you know, and this kind of thing, and it can be used casually. There's a disconnect there between when you see how, when it's treated wrong, when it's, when it's used without consent, how traumatic it is for a human being, you know? And so Mm -hmm. there's something there that we don't fully comprehend and understand as humans, it, it, the, the sexual experience is maybe it's because it's a creative power, a, a godly power or something. But anyway, it's it's tied into our psyche way more than what, what we comprehend. And so the healing, the way to do it can be very complex. And you have a very specific philosophy for that. Do you want to explain to us a little bit what it is, where, where you take your listeners and the people you work with? My philosophy on healing really is that there are going to be different seasons and different times in your life when different healing modalities will be the answer. So for example, talk therapy may be needed, energy work, massage therapy, hypnotherapy, EDMR or EMDR, whatever it's called, horse equine therapy. You know, there's so many different types of therapy. And I feel like when we are prayerful and we ask God, what do I need right now? You'll find the answer. And maybe you don't believe in God and you can ask yourself, you can say to your subconscious and have a private moment with yourself in a quiet room, you know, close your eyes, really go inward into yourself and ask I am thinking about this type of therapy. Would this be good for me right now? And I feel like you'll get an answer. For the listeners that can hear all that munching, (laughs) we've been joined by a young child (laughs) who is sitting on her mom's lap. (laughs) 
Yes, sorry. All that, all that heavy breathing in the microphone is not me. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I just realized she's eating raspberries. Sorry, guys. We're talking but, about something very serious, and there's all this heavy breathing in the background. Like, and what we were just talking about is even more awkward. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I think that healing, I think giving yourself some grace and realizing that maybe what you've been doing, if it stops working and stops serving you, it's time to try something new and to be willing to explore the different options and to not worry about what, what your neighbor might think or anything like that. Like I know within like some of the Christian culture, not just the, the LDS culture, but Christians in general have a hard time with energy work and hypnotherapy, for example. And I want to explain that for a second. Hypnotherapy is not getting hypnotized like what you see on a stage, like those hypnotism um, shows and something. It's totally different. All hypnotherapy is, is deep subconscious work. The person just gets you to relax in such a relaxed state that you're able to talk to your subconscious and you're able to go so deep into your memories and deep into your emotions and your feelings that you're able to, um, in my opinion, do a lot more work in a shorter amount of time and heal a lot faster because you're dealing directly with your subconscious. You're not going on a roundabout way which talk therapy does. Talk therapy is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great. But hypnotherapy and EDMR and some of these deep subconscious work can release a lot of baggage in a quick amount of time. So it makes me think of two things. One, just a couple episodes we talked with, I talked with Trevor Lay, who is a trauma therapist. And you know, he's, he's a therapist that deals specifically with this type of thing. That was a very, very interesting conversation of, you know, getting outside help to help you deal with it. And the other is that um, Bethany Wallace, I interviewed her, gosh, a couple of years ago, and we were talking about her healing had come through a 12 step program. And so mm-hmm. what it does is I am reminded that there are lots of paths to healing, mm-hmm. you know, and that I like a lot what you said about take it into a state of prayer and meditation and pray that the thing you need will come to you. For me, um, I went to next level training and that helped me to understand what I was doing with my own story and how I needed to reframe it in order to get past the, the shame of my divorces and, you know, and what the things that were stopping me in my own story. And so I know as I interview people that everybody has their own individual path to where they need to get to get past where they're stuck. So when we're talking about that mud bog, the way out of it is not the same for everyone. And so there are different things to try and, and who knows what that is for you, but be open, be open to what comes, be open to what feels right. Yeah. And I think that openness is key because not only do you have to be open to the different types of therapy, you have to be open to healing. Mm there gets to be a point where you have to be willing to let go and step out of that bog. You have to be willing to grab that hand that's willing to help you and move on. And I know that that can be really hard. You know, it can be really, really difficult to let go of that hurt because you've had it for so long. That's what feels normal. And you're, you can be scared about what the future means 
And there's a lot of just (laughs) in itself healing. I've met a lot of people who weren't ready to heal yet because they didn't want to face it, right? They didn't want to relive the trauma. They don't want to speak to their earlier self, right? Like if they were a victim as a child, maybe they don't want to go back there, right? And I understand that. It's hard. It's hard to relive that, but it doesn't have to be a um, long, drawn-out process. You don't have to sit there in that pain, right? I uh, That episode that you just sent me um, about uh, anger, right? And accepting acknowledging the emotions that you're feeling, giving them gratitude, giving them a space, and then releasing them is key. I think another thing that people sometimes get stuck in is when they have lived with something for a long time, it becomes a part of them and they don't know how to function without either the anger or the bitterness or the self-definition. They have let that event give to them. Mm -hmm. And that has to be something that you're willing to let go of and explore yourself without that as a defining factor. I 100% agree. Who am I if without I that? This, right? Like, mm-hmm. who does that mean that I am? And in my mind, that means that you are a clear, beautiful, happy, energetic person who is open to happiness. And when you accept that happiness and you accept that peace, you will find so much joy in your life. about come off conqueror who are the women not who but the with the women that you've interact with and and you are a sounding board and a safe space for so many of these women in the work that you do what are some inspiring stories or an inspiring story that you can share and what do you do to help them and where can people find you if they feel like you could be a support to them so come off conquer uh you can just search that on youtube um i can give you the link and then we also have a facebook support group um where women can um join and be a part of the discussion ask questions um post encouraging comments and stories and and stuff like that it's meant to be a a safe place where people can share without judgment And the show itself, we've interviewed quite a few incredible women who have (laughs) literally conquered some crazy stories. We've uh, one woman that I interviewed, I don't even know how many marriages she had that were all abusive, both physically, emotionally, financially, every, every which way, some crazy things. And her story, I love because she had so much self-love and recognition for what was going on that she didn't give it a second thought. She got out of there right away. And that's rare. It usually takes someone seven times attempting to leave an abusive marriage before they actually go seven times, seven attempts. And it takes a lot of people to have a, a big support system and a plan in place. And so that she just jumped. And so her courage and her, ability to just trust that everything will work out is so inspiring to me. And she's one of the ones who does um, equine therapy. So that was really big for her um, healing process. Horses helped her. And um, there's some 
in addition to the survivor stories, we also, I also interview um, different healers and practitioners and authors and uh, hypnotherapists, EDMR, you name it. We're trying to get as many different types of tools and resources on that show as possible to give people an idea, you know, maybe of what will spark something for them and what they can try next and stuff. It's the show. I am not the teacher. <laughs> that is um, so clear to me. I am the student. <laughs> I am learning right along with everybody and just trying to glean from these people as much wisdom as I can. And it's been for me, it's been miraculous how much healing has been done in the last couple of years as I've been working on this and the bonds and the miracles that I've seen in the lives of the listeners and the women in the support group. One woman joined our support group with serious suicide ideation. She was um, about to be hospitalized and um, through the encouragement of the other members And just knowing that she had a safe place and a place where she could be real about what was going on with her, that other people understood the thoughts that she was having. It's, she's no longer on watch, but she still suffers with uh, suicide ideation, but it's been amazing to watch her blossom. She's really gaining so much self-love and confidence. She's now working to be a domestic violence advocate for children. And she's doing some incredible things with her life or her life. And she now has like a, while she may suffer with those thoughts, she has a, how do I say this? She has a will to live. Mm. She wants to be here. You know, sometimes our darkest places are the places that lead us into the work we're supposed to do, that we can do. I know that you are a big proponent of healing with God. Jeffrey R. Holland said, it is not possible for you to sink lower than the infinite life of Christ's atonement. Maybe I've written that down wrong. Maybe it's the infinite love. At any rate, I I know that that's a big part of what you do, that it's, it's, uh, am I correct? It's around Christian healing. Yeah. Well, so the show is, is a faith-based show and I definitely talk about God a lot and we quote a lot of scriptures and we talk about the Christian culture and stuff like that. But we're talking about what healing, how someone came to their healing, right? So it's more about the healing journey. And oftentimes God is a big part of that healing journey. Come to reconciling your faith. And a lot of these women have been abused by, there's one who was abused by a bishop. There's one who was, who went through some crazy spiritual abuse that they used the church against her. And so her trying to reconcile her faith in God versus her faith in a religion and coming to terms with what is God and what is, you know, like trying to separate those. And so we, we tackle a lot of that. And I do believe that, that God is she asleep. She is asleep. <laughs> I, that's so funny. So sorry if you can hear the snoring. 
but I do believe that God is, is the ultimate healer that if you include him in the discussion and you include him in the process, you'll be able to find the tools and the resources and the programs and the books and the people and the podcasts that you need at a specific time. I don't think those things are coincidences. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be free. He wants you to find pure joy. I love that she's just snoring, like sitting here. She's clearly very tired. <laughs> I don't know how to edit that out. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. It's going to be like the funniest episode episode for your <laughs> listeners. They're going to listen to this. Like, oh, listeners. Oh, this. <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, it's real life. It's <laughs> We have heavy breathing and snoring in the background. <laughs> okay. So Come Off Conqueror then is primarily a support group, it sounds like. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So we, I hope to have, the plan is to launch a podcast and write a book based on these survivor stories and to help people figure out steps to healing and how to go and have these encouraging stories of what to do. I mean, the whole point of it was started because at that time when I had this idea, there was, I couldn't find a single show that was faith-based about healing from sexual abuse and trauma. I couldn't find anything. I'm sure it existed. I just couldn't find it. You're talking about podcasts? Yeah. Both podcasts and YouTube YouTube and stuff like that. I couldn't find anything that was faith-based. And that was for me sad because for my story, God is center in my healing. And with many of the women I interview, it's the same. He is center in their lives. All these resources and the tools and everything helped, but it's their relationship with God that made it work. I know this is so funny. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do either, Lori. <laughs> any final words <laughs> maybe this episode needed to have a little lightning to it. <laughs> probably because it's a it's a it's a rough topic right you know my final words are I want you to know that if you are a victim that this is not where your story ends that you can make something beautiful out of this mess <laughs> that you can let this story be a part of you. It doesn't define you, but it can make you stronger. My story doesn't define me as a sinner. It doesn't define me as a fornicator. It doesn't, doesn't define me as on any of these things that I thought that I was, right? However, the lessons learned from my story have made me more compassionate. They've made me more accepting and tolerant of other people. They have fueled my life to be the type of person that I am today. We can learn from our stories, right? Like, which is the point of your podcast, right? (laughs) Thank you, Bonnie. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Thank you for being on our show today and for sharing your very personal story and also for creating the good in the world that you're creating, the support for the people who can learn and understand each other and band together. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 
I don't know why so many terrible things happen in the world, bad things to good people. But what I do know is that trauma changes us. We know more. We sometimes come to understand things we never wanted to understand. And sometimes it breaks our souls. Sometimes it breaks our minds and our bodies. This is why healing becomes so important. Like our bodies, our souls can be healed. And it's not fast. And it needs proper care and time and help. But healing is hope. And when the traumatizing things happen, they don't define us. They don't need to define us. We need to not let them define us. Healing is essential to stepping out of the dark, sticky bog in which trauma can throw us. And healing is part of the process of being able to live again. God is a big part of that for many, many people and a wonderful resource to look to for healing and love. That's part of what Bonnie does and part of her very specific experience. As you move forward through this next week, your challenge is to consider what trauma you have in your past that may still have a negative hold on you, one that holds you back because you don't know how to get past it. Take this acknowledgement into your meditations and into your prayers and ask for the way of healing to open to you. Keep that intention in your heart this week and see what doors open. Share this episode link with anyone you think that it would bless. Have a great week creating your life intentionally, and I will see you in two weeks for the next episode of the Love Your Story podcast.